Welcome to the B2B Growth Accelerator with Eric Fisher. Eric has over 20 years of professional sales experience in both financial services and technology sales consulting, where he has more than $35 million in sales. He now would like to share with you the strategies, tactics, and mental tools that have led him to the top of the sales game to help you accelerate your career, grow your business, and become financially free. Let's get started. Here is your host, Eric Fisher. All right. Three, two, one, and we're live. Yay. Hi, Anita. How you doing? I'm awesome. How are you, Eric? Doing great. Uh, for our audience, I've got Anita Kanev um, with us today, and uh, she uh, owns um, the Instagram page Sales Resource Girl, right? Her Sales Resource. Her Sales Resource. <laughs> Um, yes. And uh, we've been uh, connecting on uh, some of the social channels, and I think we have a lot of the same philosophies as it really relates to sales. So I wanted to have you on to, uh, one, uh, chat with you about some of your philosophies on sales, hear more about your background and story, um, kind of where you started out in sales and what you're doing now um, as an entrepreneur, and uh, offer up some of your tips, strategies, and hacks uh, for aspiring salespeople and business owners so they can grow their business. Yay, I love it. Thank you so much for having me. I love your page and all your content, so I feel very honored. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having, thank you for your joining me. For sure. So, uh, can you tell us about, tell me a little bit about like what, how'd you get into sales? How long ago, where you started? What industry? So, yeah, I've been in the financial services industry for 18 years. And um, my joke is that I started when I was 10 years old, right? Because it's just <laughs> so fast. It goes so fast. And I started totally accidentally, um, you know, had a friend invite me to an office to check out a presentation. You know, they were recruiting a bunch of sales reps. And I was the one who walked in really mad. I was annoyed. I did not want to be there. My major in college was recreation management. I had no desire to sell life insurance more than anything. And, uh, but I left the meeting fired up. I thought I was going to take over the world because it's the first time that I heard things that talked about potential and talked about big vision and really what you can do um, income wise. I've never heard any of that talk in college and classes or anything like that, you know, so I got really fired up at potential and uh, I just got started in the life insurance industry and started selling life insurance policies and plans. And that's really where it began. You know, through that, I evolved. I was horrible in the beginning. I struggled. I don't know why I didn't quit the first five years. It was really tough. Um, and then, but I kept going and became a broker, owned my own agency. And then later, I also got recruited um, by a competitor company and worked as the VP of sales on the corporate side for the annuity uh, division. So I got the experience of being in the field and then also leading the entire field in sales. And I'm telling you, it's my passion. I believe sales should be something that a lot of people think about as the forefront, not so much as a backup plan because it's the most lucrative thing you can do. And it's such a low bar to entry for a lot of people that many people can get started a lot easier than they think they can. And if you master it and learn it, you could do so well. So I'm very passionate about it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. So uh, was that your first job out of college then? Yeah, I was still in college. Oh, yeah. you're still in college. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was still like a year left and I was like, yeah, I'll try it. You know, I'm going to do this. And so here I am a college recreation major and trying to talk to you about your finances, you know, so it was, it was fun. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a challenge for a lot of salespeople, right? Because typically when you get into sales, you know, especially if you're selling, whether you're selling B2C or B2B, yeah. a lot of times people that have money, or if you're selling to corporations, you know, whether it's, you know, SMB or a large enterprise, you're usually selling to people that are much older than you. Right. 
And, you really are. Yeah, and it's it's a you know it's a mental uh, challenge I think for a lot of people because you know one they don't trust you they you know I think most people know that you know as you said that it's a low barrier entry so a lot of salespeople are very young. Um, mm-hmm. Now I think it, what's also interesting is that people that continue to sell and you know work their way into their you know mid late thirties forties you know either you're uh, either you didn't grow or you're really successful and you know there's no reason to leave. <laughs> yeah, it's one or the other, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. funny. I know you see the struggling rep at 40 and you're like, dude, you know, you've been doing this too long to be there. But yeah, it's, it's, it's right. It's one or the other. And I think that's the point. It's your, it's your choice because you can stay in this as a career and really outperform people who have fancy titles all over the place, yeah. but you have to decide to make that a choice and go for it, you know? Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not the smartest guy and I'm probably average intelligence at best. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So that was, for me, sales was kind of like, okay, well, if I want to make, you know, doctor money or greater uh, or lawyer money, you know, whatever it is, you know, those are obviously growing up. I thought those are two professions I, yeah. you know, I wanted to, to at least reach that kind of level of success. And then, you know, yeah. when you start seeing success in sales, you start realizing, well, I actually can earn income far greater than what a lot of these people, these professions exactly. do. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I I would love to have more people be proud of their role in sales, you know, be proud of being in sales. I don't care what you sell. The fact that you can control your income says so much more to me than somebody with a quote unquote high salary. You know what I mean? They can't move it. So, yeah. Yeah. So when you started out and you started in college, what was, um, you know, there's a lot of people that that are coming right out of college. They get into sales. You know, they I think you bring up a good point. They get into sales because the barrier to entry is really low. Mm-hmm. And so they just have a job, right? They don't really look mm-hmm. at it as a career. And it, certainly now with, you know, the, the new generation, right? Of millennials and, you know, hey, they're probably going to stay in their career or at a company for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, it might've been a little different when I started and when you started, you know, it was like, hey, you're going to work someplace and maybe stay there for a, a long period of time. But um, what, what do you think most, you know, new salespeople struggle with and, and kind of what advice, you know, if you were to, I'm sure you still coach people, like what advice do you give those people that are just starting out? Man, I think they struggle with false expectation. I think, um, you know, because I know that when I started, I was so excited about the potential. And I thought, you know, I could be a millionaire in the first three months. So, you know, you come in, you get really sold and you're fired up, especially if you don't have sales experience and you haven't been through the ringer a couple of times. You're just like, oh, if I do this, this and this, I think come in knowing that, you know, you really have to know the numbers it's going to take, the attempts it's going to take. You have to deal with all the the side stuff, the rejection, the organization, the follow up. Just come in with the expectation like, OK, this is a craft. Like, I really have to learn this as a skill. And if it takes me a little bit longer than I thought or initially, it'll still be worth the payout. So come in here knowing the expectation and lock on to somebody who can really guide you and mentor you. If you don't have somebody like that in your company, you have to be very proactive in finding somebody in the world that can help you hold you accountable and guide you in that area. Because if you do, you're going to have massive success. Massive. If you don't, you will quit. You'll get frustrated within a year or two and you'll be done. Yeah. Well, do you think that most, you know, I think uh, when I started, I know that um, I started in uh, the, the career, I'm, the company I work for now, uh, it's been 12 years, but it was coming out of the financial services industry. Oh. And uh, so I, I left the financial services industry in the meltdown in, in 2007, 2008. Okay. Uh, joined my company in 2008 and 
you know, I came in as a pretty egotistical, arrogant, young, you know, perfect like, sales rep. It, yeah, right. Like, I, you know, you guys don't know anything. I'm going to show you, you know, <laughs> but I, it was kind of advantageous because when I started with, with the company I work for, um, we didn't have a lot of business. You know, I, I laugh all the time now because I'm like, I, you know, for the last 10 years, I've had more business than we had um, in that first year when I was, I was actually inside sales for that first year. But what it taught me was, you know, you need to build. Yes. And it was, I think that's the problem is, you know, I don't, you have a philosophy. You have to have goals, right? In sales, because you have to have targets. So you got your personal goals, you have your professional goals. And then when you're running a sales team or running a sales organization, you certainly have to have a, a number that you're driving towards because, you know, sales is what oh, yeah. drives the business. But I oftentimes, I'm curious on your perspective. I oftentimes that think that those goals create bad habits for salespeople because they, they're so focused on the short term that they don't really yes. realize they lose the whole relationship building piece of prospecting. Oh my God. Eric. So I'm curious like what, what your thoughts are on that. Yes, yes. And yes, this is why I am so resounding on that sentiment because month end closeout, especially, right. We said, we're going to hit this big number. It's coming to the end of the month. That's where sales reps really put in their, their work. And it's sad to, for me to see that, but that's usually where the majority of them go, Oh, I got to hit this goal, you know, whatever. And so then they start doubling down and then they start hard closing and really making it like happen right at the end of the month. Great. That's awesome. And sometimes you hit your goals and you feel so good for a minute, but then what do you do? You put your foot off the, take your foot off the gas and then you're kind of coasting for a week or two. And then you do the same thing at the end of the month. I would rather have a pipeline so big that every month I'm hitting my numbers because I'm constantly in the flow of my production. So when we have target goals or number goals, I really do think you have to tie them into your big picture. Okay. I want to hit this, this, and this because I want this kind of a lifestyle, right? It's not just about hitting the number. It's about what that number is going to produce in my life. And if you have that mentality, then you're, produ then you're producing regularly. You know, you're constantly looking to close and the people that aren't like nailing down at the end of the month, you're fine with it because your pipeline is so big that you're closing others in the meantime. So it has to be like that front end prospecting focus be, that yields to those numbers that you want to hit at the end of the month. And this is where I'm talking about expectation. If you understand like, okay, if I want to close five sales this month, let's say, and I know I need to sit in front of 10 high ticket clients to do that. I have to constantly be putting people on my list to get in front of 10 people a month, not at the end of the month where I'm like trying to nail it in like on a constant basis, how am I looking on my 10, on my 10? So yeah, big picture. What do I want my lifestyle to look like? Cause I promise you most sales reps don't want the stress of like, I'm going to die the last four days of the month drinking monster and not sleeping to make this happen. They'd rather have a nice productive lifestyle. So you have to be focused on that instead of just the target. The target is a means to an end. Yeah. I, you know, it's an interesting thing. I don't know if I, if I know the answer, like it's easy to point out problems. I don't know if I know the answer because part of me wants to say, okay. And I think most organizations have them right where you put somebody on, you know, some type of not necessarily a draw, but a guarantee for a period of time, mm -hmm. let them get going, build yeah. the right habits. Yeah. You know, the caveat to that is of course, then you have people that are lazy and they just start, they coast. Right. And so yeah. they never have, you know, the gumption to, okay, I need to go because you know, my, my guarantee is going to fall yeah. off. Um, I don't know if I know the answer. You know, I've thought about this so many times for years. Where I'm like, you know, if yeah. we just like almost took away targets and said, okay, you need to focus on these key behaviors for a consistent period of time. It's just, it's not measurable. 
That's no, a problem. that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> but you know, this is where sales is not just a tactical game; it's a mental game, and it has to be something you self-develop on a regular. And you are a different person from your first day till your like twelfth month. You know, if you think right. about how you think, and the reason you think that way is think about all the self-development you've done and how differently you process life than somebody who's just getting started. Um, so I, I agree with you, you know, and I worked my first few years, my first, my, my whole career was just commission only reps. So oh. I've been there where like I'm hurting cats my whole life, you know, cause mm-hmm. they do whatever they want. They're not going to get fired. They're commission only. But then when you work on, you know, the salary, then you're dealing with people who are like less stressed cause they have that base. So it is a weird combination. You know, you can't train the motivation. You can't train the mental discipline. You find that. So yeah, it's a, it's a impasse sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know, I get, um, in the book that I wrote, um, I focus, it's on prospecting, right. And you know, the, the name of the book, um, is, is basically due to the fact that the way we prospect now, um, has to be different. Uh, but mm-hmm. I do believe that prospecting is the key to the whole game. And I know we were just chatting on this, right. You know, my, my book's called the intelligence factor because I believe that like we have to lead with intelligence and data and insights. And I think most, you know, people know that now, Mm-hmm. but they get kind of drawn into this whole, you know, rat race of, I got to hit this number. I got to hit this number. If I don't hit it, I'm going to go on a performance plan or I'm going to, or I'm going to end up quitting. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you obviously have a, a passion and a belief that prospecting and building that sales funnel is the most important thing. Can you talk, you know, talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, hundred percent. I always say all the skills and all your techniques in the world don't matter if you have nobody to use them on. So to me, it's all about prospecting. If I were to break my day down, I'd want to be spending 60, 70% of my day prospecting. The rest is on technique and closing because that's really where it lies. I think every sales rep's problem, honestly, Eric, is not that they don't know how to close, not that they don't want to hit their numbers or not motivated. They don't have enough people to go see. you, You have a company that gives you leads. I think that's almost dangerous too, because you're relying on somebody just hand feeding. You're not an order taker, right? You, you get paid to find a sale, not to close the sale. By the time the sale gets closed and wrapped up, all the work's done. You get paid because you were the person who found the one who wanted to buy. Otherwise, the company wouldn't be paying you. They'd be putting money into billboards and ads and magazines and crap, but they're paying you because you are the finder. And so prospecting has to be your passion if you're in sales. Like constantly have your antennas out, looking, seeing who could be a good fit and building your list. Your list is never big enough. It's never big enough. And I have this little model. So like I'm in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas. And I'm like, I'm always Love like Dallas. everybody. Yeah. You do? Okay. Yes, yes. Dallas, it's awesome. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Jersey girl. And I made my way over here and I love it here. I'm never leaving. So I don't blame um, you. But I'm, there's about 8 million people in DFW. And my, my motto is like, everybody in DFW is going to know who I am. That's my motto. Like everybody's going to know Anita. Yeah. Everybody's going to know Anita. And it's obviously is that possible, right? You know, but it's my motto because I want to shake everybody's hands. I want to meet people. If there's networking events, if there's parties, if I get invited to places, I go because I want to make connections everywhere. I need to grow my list on a regular basis. For sure. Well, uh, it's funny. So I always, you know, for the la- for a long period of time now, I've been selling large enterprise accounts, you know, really in that fortune 200, but I've sold, you know, I was successful selling SMB. I was successful selling B2C, but kind of how I always thought it. I don't know if anybody else ever calls it that, but like if you are selling a large account, I call it being becoming the mayor, right? Everybody yes. knows who you are, right? Yes. Shake hands, kiss babies. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's not about just walking around, but it's when you're constantly adding value and you do a good job and 
um, you know, those referrals naturally come and you get introduced to people and it be right. My hope is that I can help people through my training. And, you know, it's the same thing I coach people internally within my company is you want to get to a point where you still have to work really, really hard. But oh, how you work is differently uh, or is different. You want to get to a point where it's, it's so fun and it feels easy. And as you pointed out, the stress isn't really there because if you're doing the right prospecting activities constantly – then you don't really have to worry. Like all this closing, hardcore closing, no. closing scripts, you don't need any of that because no. most sales are one, like you said, through all the little micro commitments along the way. Yes, you're going to have to deal with negotiations. Yes, you yes. might. You, yes, you have to ask for business. Yes, you have to ask who am I competing with. You know, you have to ask all those questions, but I, I 100% agree with you. It's, it's in the prospecting. And I, we were having a conversation as a team um, earlier this week and I asked our team, and this is a bunch of senior level tenured salespeople who all are making, you know, well into the six figures. Um, a lot, some of them are younger than others. And I asked them, I said, we get, we have to do a lot of things as sellers, right? Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes depending on the company you work for, you have to do too much in my opinion. And instead of focusing just on selling and the customer, mm-hmm. but I said, what percentage of your day are we all spending on prospecting? Mm on customer outreach, because that ultimately is what gets us in the door. Once you're usually in front of someone, it's not, even if you're terrible at it, right? you're going to, law of (laughs) averages is going to work out. You're going to make it. And (laughs) you sell despite yourself sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But did you feel that that of all the teams you've managed, that that's the biggest issue is when they, when they're they're not honest with themselves? A hundred percent. They all come, you know, my, my favorite thing is when a rep comes to me cause they need help and they'll be like, so like, Hey, Anita. So I have this one guy and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, stop, that's your problem. You have one no, guy. Let me tell you, let me tell, no, that's your problem. You're coming to me worried about one guy. If you had a hundred guys, you, I promise you would not be coming to me with this issue. So let's go to the drawing board and let me see your list. And you know, it's always the issue because they're so hung up on closing this one. Cause if they close this one sale, it's more commission than they've made all month, you know, and stop. I'd rather have 20 that equal that commission than one that I'm depending on and trying to reach out to. So yeah, a hundred percent. Like your problem is that you don't have enough people. in. I promise you 90% of our reps in the world, that's the issue. You just don't have enough people that you're working with. on hundred percent. Yeah. You, you speak, you speak my language. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So you you, you make your life easier. You know, this whole rejection and like crap rejection doesn't matter because when you're so busy with people, you're like glad that people don't show because you're like, good, I was double booked. You know what I mean? Like you're not freaking out because somebody said no, because I have way too many people to worry about you, you know? So. Yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, you know, let your, let where you're at dictate how much you need to do. Right. You know, I think that, you know, if if sales is your career and Mm -hmm. I believe, you know, everybody's a salesperson, you know, you need to be able to convince people to get your way in life in general. Um, You need to be able to listen, hear other people out, you know, have empathy, all those things. But when it comes to actually like selling as a career, it's a long game. Like you can't, if you're in it for a short run, it doesn't work. And, you know, I think that if people started looking at, I I was talking to a lady the other day, she was asking me for some help and she's asked me the same question 15 times, which is, well, I've got this one customer and Mm -hmm. I'm like, again, that is your problem. It's your problem. Like stop worrying about closing him. Go get some new prospects. Seriously, he smells your desperation. I yes. promise you. Yes. I promise you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it shows up. Don't you think it shows up with your, uh, you know, well, you call him a customer, a prospect, pers- per, you know, prospective customer. You show up differently, right? 
Oh yeah, I think so. Cause you're not stressed. You're not worried about it. You're just like, you're, Hey, you're one of my eight that I have today. No. Oh, you're not in. Okay, Bob, I'm going on to the next. Like you feel different and they feel like, Oh, I, I need to work with her because she's busy versus like, Oh, you know, she needs me a hundred percent. So, so I, I, I asked you some questions and I interrupted. So, so you, so you're doing life insurance. You, you ended up uh, becoming a VP of sales. What are you doing mm-hmm. now then? So um, I'm actually very excited because I'm, I'll announce it officially next, next week, but I'm partnering up with a big sales training organization out of DFW. Yeah, I'm very excited. Um, But yeah, my role is to be a sales trainer, sales coach, and sales motivator. I think sometimes we need the motivation and I'm not talking about frou-frou motivation. I'm talking about stuff that like sparks the aha moment in you. Mm -hmm. For example, not realizing that prospecting has been your issue, not realizing that you don't know your ratios, your numbers, you don't know what your comp plan is. You know how many reps don't know what their comp plan is, how to maximize it. Like, oh, that's why you're not making money. So I want to be the catalyst for people to go, wow, I can really make this a career that's far beyond what any of my fancy friends titles are. I I really want to instill pride in sales into every sales rep that's out there. That's my goal as a motivator and a coach and a trainer. That's awesome. I love to hear that. Well, I look forward to hearing the news. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So, um, so what's your thoughts? So, so I, I talk about this a lot in my book, but you know, there's a lot, there's, there's these people that say, Hey, cold email is the way to go for outreach. And then there's people that say, Hey, it's all in on LinkedIn. And then there's people that say, Hey, cold calling's not dead. I have my own belief, you know, about what works. What, what do you believe? My answer to that is yes. Like, yes. Yeah, like, what the heck? You're telling me one way is going to be the way? Are you crazy? There's, you know, like I said, 8 million people in DFW, 7 billion people on the planet, one way. I think you got to get good and comfortable with everything, you'll find your thing, you know, just like all those people are saying that probably because it's their thing. You'll find your thing you're really good at and you can spend most of your time there, but don't be afraid to dabble, you know, with other methods. What I am a big believer in, though, is I'd rather pound on my strengths than try to strengthen my weaknesses. I don't like that advice. Like, whatever you're weak in, strengthen it. I think it's a waste of time. I think if you're strong in one area, go all in there. And then the stuff that you're okay in, maybe dabble with that. But if there's something you suck at and you can avoid it, then just don't do it. Because why? Are, that's where people start to struggle and start to doubt when you could be killing it doing one other method. So yeah, yeah. G- G- Gary V talks a lot about that. He's like, stop spending time yeah. on things. You're always going to probably suck at those things. If you certainly can bring them up, you know, a fair amount. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the, so what about, how do you think, um, so, so as the VP of sales, was that still a B2C industry or was it B2B as well? It was probably heavily B2C, but I would say 80% because we would be then focused on 401k plans with businesses and doing setting up company insurance benefits and stuff too. So we had B2B as well, but 20%. So how do you feel that, um, you know, I think there seems to be a very large difference in the training for B2C salespeople, B2B. I do think there is some differences uh, for sure because I've done both, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's obviously a lot of similarities. What do you think the main differences are in terms of how you go to market as a B2C salesperson versus B2B? And what do you think the similarities are? So here, and maybe this is where you, when you develop your skill set, you think this way, but I think the differences are, are a lot more slight than we, than we want to think because it's still sales. It's still a human being you're trying to reach to. Um, I think the difference is, is that you're trying to make 
a, somebody to make a decision that's going to make a decision for a whole organization or make a decision without their own personal money being involved. So you're touching on different psychological points, right? Like they're not worried about spending the money because they're not going to put money into their kid's college fund. That's not the decision, but it's like, hey, do I have it in the company budget? Can I really adjust that? Maybe you've got gatekeepers to go through. So there's a, there are those differences. And then B2C, it's all about, you know, people not wanting to part with their entertainment fund to buy whatever you're selling. So it's a different mentality, but at the end of the day, it's literally just asking questions and really listening to where they're coming from. So the skill set in itself is the same, I think. It's just you have to come from it from a different angle. Yeah, well, I think the other thing is that, um, so what I tell people is, yes, like that that is the biggest difference, right? So you're solving complex business problems when you're, you know, they, they may be complex, maybe they're not, right? I mean, if you sell uh, steel, you know, right. there are complexities to that, um, but it's not like selling SaaS software or IT consulting. They're, you know, got its yeah, own own sure. uh, things that are challenging about it. Mm-hmm. What I always say, though, is that when, when you're asking somebody, right, and you're creating value for them, so you prospect them, you meet them, you ask them great questions that you developed, you um, help them understand like where they, you understand where they want to go, you help them understand how you can help them get there. That's right. Right. Eventually you're going to get to a point, right, where they're either bought in on you and your ability to help them or not. And where I think most people lose it is, is it comes down to trust and a level of respect and like, do they feel like you're an authority in what you do? So if I'm selling, like I'm in the IT industry, right? If I'm selling to a director or a VP, what they ultimately care about, am I going to hit my bonus? Am I going to potentially lose my job if I spend, you know, seven figures with your company, do I believe your company actually can help me? Mm-hmm. And if they don't, that's where I think the similarities are is that yes. ultimately, yes, they do, they care about themselves. Don't we all? Yeah. Right. I mean, but, yeah, that's the stem of it for sure. Yeah. It's, you know, and I think what, what's, you know, and I wonder if you feel the same, I think in B2C now, right. Consumers and, you know, I have a belief just all of our, our buyers, prospective buyers, they're, they're more sophisticated now. They are. Well, or at least they think they are, <laughs> right. which is just as dangerous. Correct. You know I mean? Yeah. 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 Cause they think, well, I've got all this information at my fingertips now, so I can make my own decisions. A lot of times the information they have is not correct information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about that at all in terms of like how you navigate that as a salesperson? You go in prepared knowing that, right? And like, you can even try to try to help uh, the situation by bringing it up. So I'd be like, hey, Eric, so I understand there's a lot of information on Google right now and you could probably find your own game plan if you wanted to, right? And so you preface with that so that they can't come to you with an objection. Well, let me do research, you know, cause you just brought that up, right? Well, let's do research. And you can even pull up your, I love that we get to have our phone with us everywhere we go because I can just pull it up right now. Let's do research together, Eric. What is it that you wanna look up first? It's such an easy thing to do because they are educated, but guess what? I have the same tool, Bob, right? So let's work through this together. So going in prepared that they're probably going to say that to you. So bring it up up front so that you're in control and then be ready to navigate it when it does come up because it will happen. I, I love when people like hope for the best, like, oh, I hope it just closes. There's no objections. Like, no, prepare for everything hitting you so that you look polished. Cause like you said, even B2C, B2B is the same. They want to do business with you because they can trust you. You're the professional here. Any kind of like wavering, uh, all that crap. That's what stuns everything. And that's 
that's why people don't do business with you because they're like, she doesn't even know what she's talking about. So if you can sound confident, sound like you're ready, that is literally half the battle. I yeah, think. I would agree. I mean, I think there's, um, you know, there's a couple sales, you know, there's, there's probably three sales trainers that are B2B focused that I really um, admire. I reference them in my book because I, you know, I don't think I'm not of the belief you have to reinvent the wheel. Like if someone's already right. said it, like give them credit for it. So I think, um, like that J, J, J John Barrows, Jay Barrows has, you know, he's, he owns Jay Barrows consulting. He sold mm-hmm. salesforce.com all their training. He's phenomenal. Um, you know, obviously Jeb Blunt wrote fanatical prospecting and objections. He's got great info, Anthony and Arino there. There's a lot of these guys, but mm-hmm. I, I think that, um, they talk about some things that are really important. And I think it's what you just alluded to around like the words we use. So mm-hmm. it's the, it's the kind ofs and the sort ofs and like, people pick up on that. They're like, all the time. It either is or it isn't like you either. (laughs) And it's okay. Just say you don't know something. Say you don't know. Yeah. Or, you know, I always tell people too, like, there's only so much you can be like, you know, great question, Eric, let me get back to you. There's only so many times you can do that without losing credibility in a presentation. You can also like spin it on them. If you ask me a question that I don't know, and I've already said once that I don't know something, I could come back and be like, Oh, Eric, that's actually a really good question. I'm really impressed that you asked that. That tells me you're really thinking about this. Can you repeat it one more time? And I make them say it again. And half the time they don't say the same question again. So it's not really an objection, but I'm making them feel so good for asking me this question. I'll be like, when I come back, that's definitely the first thing I'm going to address you. So I think the way I, I respond to something I don't know also demonstrates confidence versus not having it too. If I'm constantly like, I don't know, Eric. Versus, man, you're such a stud. I can't believe you just, you're the first person who's asked me that. I'm so impressed with how you think. Let me write that down. It just totally created a different vibe for the customer. Like, oh, I am smart. I'm so good at this. I like right. her. Right. right? So I think you, you're also prepared in how you're responding to that stuff. And I did a video actually on my Instagram a long time ago when I started this on crutch words, cause I, I train a lot on public speaking too. And, um, and the kind of, so all these things that we're like just throwing in. I believe you need to eliminate them. And I have some, some black on there because people are like, yeah, but you don't want to sound like a robot. You don't want to sound like, you know, you're too polished. You want to sound natural. And I'm like, well, crap, you want to be professional. You want, you want to master this game or not. You know what I mean? So you can try to act like you're just one of the bros or you can be, Hey, I'm confident. I know what I'm talking about. And those crutch words really make you sound polished or not, you know? So yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, the the best rule of thumb is just pause, right? It's okay to be quiet for a second. It it always feels much longer than what it really is. (laughs) That's my favorite part. You know, you take a sip of water if you need a long pause and then, you know, you'll be fine. Yeah. So when people get on, um, you know, one of the things, and I I certainly have felt this way, you know, I think what what differentiates people that are really successful and those that, that are not is the people that are not, I don't know that they realize that the people that are still have a lot of the same feelings. Oh my God. So, so like the other, the, the other day I called uh, a senior level exec, C-level executive at a very large organization. And I was like, Oh my God, that was the worst call I've made. I actually called them back the next day. I was like, Hey, can we, I, I know this guy, but he hasn't bought anything from me. Yeah. And, I, and I said, can we start over? I said, that was really bad. I said, honestly, I was rushed. I wasn't prepared. And I was like, I started thinking like new people don't that are, or people that are struggling don't realize the pros mess up all the time. Too. All the time. And the feelings you get when I, you know, when I hear objections, I'm always really prepared for them. You know, I love that, um, you know, Jeb Blunt always talks about the red herrings, or I call them like, you know, the off the wall, out of bounds uh, objections. And usually yes. you just like blow past them after you acknowledge it because they're just people. So just weird. Com- they're just yes. complaining, right? They're not really objecting. 
But what I always find is that what always held me back earlier is that nervous feeling reps get or business owners asking that additional question or what do you mean by that? Or can you explain further? And I don't know. Why do you think people get so nervous about that? That is so good. That's true because that's, it's weird. That's like my favorite way to go about objections now, right? Because I want you to justify what you're even asking me. Because do you really even understand what you're asking me? You know what I mean? Sometimes I think people regurgitate objections because they think that's what they should be asking you and they don't really know. Um, But I think people are just nervous from lack of experience, really not having been through the ringer enough. I remember there was a time we were having a a sales meeting. It was like the recognition meeting once a month. And there was this guy, I was brand new. I've maybe been in the industry a year. And I remember I was struggling. I I knew what chargebacks were by then, like a pro, (laughs) right? I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. This guy walked up and he made like 25 grand for the month back then. He's making way, he makes that like per day now. But like I'm walking, I'm watching him and I go, I remember this thought, I can't wait till I can walk up to a client like Dave can and not feel nerves. Like, cause I know Dave just never felt nerves. Right. That's what I thought. And I remember thinking that, and then, you know, fast forward, I remember a few years later, I'm getting ready for an appointment and honestly it was like a quick one. It came up. I'm like, oh, I'm going, I didn't even have to prepare. I didn't really, I just took myself and go. And I'm like, I'm finally at that point where I'm not as scared, you know? And I'm like, I, I remembered that moment. And I think it's just experience. It's just putting yourself through it. And you know, any job you have, any job, you start, you're nervous the first few times. The reason you get comfortable at a traditional job versus sales is because you pretty much do the same thing over and over. So it doesn't take you as long. But with sales, since people are so different, we're dealing with so many different scenarios. But you do this long enough, eventually it's all the same objections. And when you do get a red herring, it's you're used to the red herrings. It's like, okay, Bob. Let's go, let's go around this one. So I think it's time, it's experience. It's just letting yourself feel your way through it. And then you'll feel, you'll realize it's going to be just as simple as doing anything else. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, you talk about like people fear objection, right? Which fear and danger, different things, you know, um, people talk, you know, fear is a chemical, like it's a chemical reaction, right? But it is the, you know, the biological side of it where, you know, that obviously fight or flight, it protects us, you know, when we say we sense fear. But um, I do think it really comes down to what we were talking about before, which is the reason why you need to spend most of your time prospecting is because you need the reps. That's it. You know, it's no different than an athlete, yeah. they, you know, Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or, you know, Kobe Bryant, name your great famous athlete. They put themselves in those situations a million times. And so it doesn't feel, Literally. it doesn't feel weird anymore. It just feels no. normal. Right. You yeah. know, I always say like in sales, it's not the length of time you've been in sales, it's the experience. So I could have a rep who's been here a year who has more experience than someone who's been here five years. And that's what I love about sales. It has nothing to do with time. You don't have any seniority here based off time. It's how much attempts you've made. And so I tell people, look at it, look at the next hundred appointments as just experience. Pretend you're not going to get paid on any of them. Like if you just let the pressure off, of that and just go for the experience. Tell me you're, first of all, you're not going to close out of a hundred people. And then secondly, think about how much better you're going to be and just let it go. Like go, don't go into an appointment going, I have to close this going into an appointment saying, I wonder what I can learn from this today. And you're just going to let the pressure off. They'll, the client will feel it too. You'll probably actually close more if you just chill, stop putting so much pressure on the close and put more pressure on the finding. Yeah. Well, so, so there's, um, so there's a, there's a bunch of software out there, right? This lead gen, right? And, and mm-hmm. it's funny when I, when I was writing my book, um, I almost stopped because 
there's so many people that are like, well, I've got this lead gen tool. And I'm like, man, like you're becoming over-reliant, right? Yeah, and there's, you know, I think uh, I, was, I was actually listening to one of uh, Jeb's podcasts and he talks about the rainmakers versus the rain balers. Okay. And it's like people that make it rain, the rainmakers, they're the ones that go out and make stuff happen. They're not waiting yeah. for leads to come in. And I think there's opinions in the market where, you know, the business I'm in, we are the lead gen. Okay. Um, it's also why we get paid heavily, right? I don't have a list of leads just coming in. I have to go find the people. Now they might be in our CRM tool, but sure. I'm not going to just rely on that. And so do you feel, I mean, I think lead generation can be valuable, but I think sure. what you do with leads um, can be the problem because what I notice, and I'm sure you notice is, I mean, do you have, do you have uh, and maybe if it's not now, you had it at some point, did you ever have sales reps follow up with you, call you, you, you know, maybe you clicked on a white paper and they send you an email and they want to follow up on your download. Yeah. Well, similarly to that, but yeah, like where they kind of come in a little bit, you know why I think those are good for the practice to get the jitters out of the way in the morning. Like those are good for those. Yep. Like, so that you can kind of get going, get your blood flowing and then yeah, stir stuff up. That's what I love about sales is like, okay, sometimes people will be like, how do you know who to talk to? How do you know? So I would do this exercise with my team. I would put a mirror, I'd give them a mirror and I'm like, blow on the mirror. And they'd be like, you know, I'm like, did it fog? They're like, yes. And I'm like, okay, you do it. I did it to two. They're like, what are you doing? If you can fog a mirror, you're a prospect because every 30 year old knows 1100 people. Right. So mm -hmm. I want, like I said, I want everybody to know my name. I feel so much more in control going out and finding my people, the lead generation systems and everything that comes through me is great to get my blood flowing. But after that, I want to go find the big fish a hundred percent. Yeah. That's what I, you know, I preach. And so, so do other trainers, right. You know, for, for B2B it's, you know, three tiers of accounts, right? You got to know the personas you're going after, um, yes. you know, and so you start with your tier three and okay. then move to your tier two. And then you want to, you want to be, you know, you're, you want the momentum flowing when you get to the tier one, That's um, right. because those are the ones that you need your A game showing up. And none right. of us, none of us start, you know, a, a power hour of cold calls or even emails, right? You got to warm up your brain for emails. You too. really do. Mm -hmm. um, you get in that momentum and then, you know, things start flowing. So yeah, that's, that's good advice. Um, yeah. So where do you think sales is headed with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning? See, I think sales is going to stay stronger than ever because, and we can prove it today. For example, in my industry, in the financial industry, you can buy life insurance policies online. You can set up your retirement accounts online. You can do all this, but people who even started are such a small percentage and the ones who keep it are even smaller because they have questions. They don't know how things work. Most things in life have to be sold. They're not bought. You know, there's companies that I've had several conversations over the last few months with options as far as contracts and working with companies to build training programs. They have a product that goes already is already on a shelf, but it doesn't move because they need somebody to explain the benefit of why they overpay for something like that. So I think sales, that face-to-face -face connection is going to be stronger than ever. And I can prove it to you. Do you ever get sick and tired when you call like a place, like a bank or something, press one for this, press two for that. You're always just like zero, 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 right? Like, let me talk to a you human. You want to talk to a human, ah. exactly. Yeah. So I think sales is getting stronger. I don't think it's going away. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think that, you know, with the automation, I mean, I think all those things are great, right? It's just, you got, you can't oh, yeah. become over-reliant on them. And, you know, I think you can leverage, you know, email campaigns. They certainly work. You know, I, my thought on this is um, when I got into the marketing side, when I was starting my, my training business, one of the things that I realized was that 
digital marketers really have things figured out because they, when they do a drip campaign with email, sorry, my little guy's yelling at me. <laughs> um, when they, when they do an email marketing campaign, they're slow dripping and building a relationship with someone over email sure. and they're constantly adding value. And sure. so that is automation, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's valuable automation. But if you're like going to truly try to prospect someone, mm -hmm. you have to have a personalized touch. And oh, you have to be zeroed in on, you know, like maybe their demographic if it's B2C or, you know, the problems that exist for, you know, maybe 50-year-olds, you know, that don't have life insurance, you know. Right. Um, or if it's in my industry, I need to know specifically the problems in their industry. Absolutely. So, you know, I certainly uh, agree with you. Um, and I, I think that, it's going to be stronger than ever because people want that personalized touch. That's not going away. Cause in fact that we're doing less of that in the real world. So we want more of that in our decision-making, you know, right. for sure. Right. Yeah. So. And even these digital marketers that drip campaign, think of how many people are they dripping to. Like Tons, the, they're prospecting. Like, exactly. Yeah. So it's still the same thing. It's just, yeah, you have to focus front end either way. Yeah. So do you have a, one last kind of question for you? So as a serial salesperson, um, you obviously have learned, you know, digital marketing yourself and, and the marketing aspect. I think it's actually, I get a lot of enjoyment out of it. It's fun. It lets your creative come out a little bit yes. more. What is your feeling on most organizations? And again, you can apply it to whatever industry size scope you want. What, how different sales and marketing, like the, the departments show up um, in an organization, because I find that there is a large, like they're on two different islands. All the time. <laughs> and I don't think it's right. No. And will this ever like combine? I don't know. Right. It's going to be like this eternal battle, but I think here's what I know. I, I want to always focus on what I can control. And so I need marketing on my side, right? I need them to love me and want to fight for me. So why would I ever go to battle with them? You know what I mean? I always want them to know we're in this together and I appreciate everything marketing can give me. Their ideas, they come from a perspective I don't have. Um, I have a really good friend, for example, who's in marketing and she was giving me some advice that was, no, like it's not going to work. Like it, that doesn't work. That's not exactly how buyers work, but she was doing her best and I, but I appreciated her. And so I said, I'm going to take that and I'd like to combine it with this. You know, like we always are needing to work together. Don't expect them to, you show up being that person, like, and it will frustrate you and it won't be like, Oh, but know that you have more control over this than you think you need them just as much as they need you. So don't try to go in battling, go in with the Alliance, say, look, we're in this together. How can we work together? Cause it is going to be a battle. They, they don't have the same brain we do and vice versa. So, um, you know, but we need each other. So yeah, that'll be an eternal struggle. I think. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I would agree. Well, um, this was really valuable. Um, I appreciate your time. Can you uh, t tell, uh, tell my listeners where they can find you uh, and all your social handles and any free resources yes. you have? For sure. So right now, please go to Instagram at Her Sales Resource or LinkedIn, Aneda Kenev. That's E-N-E-I-D-A-C-A-N-E-V. If you go find me on either of those two platforms, I'm very active and you can DM me anything I can do for you. I'm happy to help. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you again for your time and I hope you have a great weekend. Okay. Thanks, Eric. You're All awesome. Right. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of B2B Growth Accelerator with your host, Eric Fisher. For additional strategies, tips, and content, please follow Eric on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Eric Fisher Official.